You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Welcome everyone to Teller from Jerusalem, and today's episode is regarding character. Our subject is becoming more considerate, or we can say briefly, consideration, which primarily means thinking about the other person and not being so self-centered. One example is regarding hailing a taxi. Now, I'm aware of the fact that nowadays that's not so common, but still, and yet and yet, in major metropolitan areas, particularly in Manhattan, London, in Jerusalem, uh, you still hail a cab. And the appropriate thing is to be considerate and give preference to one who is older or weaker, a pregnant woman, a senior, someone with little children. Now, albeit this may seem morally obvious, well, let me give an example, a personal example. I, uh, I'm in the category of older or weaker, the latter one, because I'm always schlepping my books. And years ago, I was in Manhattan, and I hailed a cab. And when you hail a taxi, it can't just stop where you hail it. It has to weave itself over to the side of the road. So I hailed a taxi. Hey, taxi. Got a ring to it. Hailed a cab. And when the cab finally pulled over to the side of the road, I hoisted up my box of books, and I ran to the cab. And as running to the taxi, a girl got in and I said, Hey, that's my cab. To which she said, That's life. And judge, judge, just in case... You think that that's okay, and one never knows in a me-first society. I just want to point out that that is wholly inappropriate, certainly not considerate. Likewise, regarding older or weaker, even if not that, uh, I don't know why this is, but driving brings out the worst character in people. People get very competitive and non-compassionate towards other people. If someone cuts you on the highway, and my students have told me if someone cuts you, you'll cut nine other people to cut them back. That's intelligent at 90 miles an hour. And even if this person caused you to lose a second or two or three or maybe even 15 seconds, it's not worth losing an organ, a limb, a spleen, an eye, an arm. And I looked up the statistics for road rage, and I don't remember even what I looked up, but I do recall that every year in America, over 70,000 people are maimed for life consequential to road rage. So therefore, if someone either cuts you or someone wants to get in, don't view them as an enemy. And my proof that it can't be so catastrophic is that, you know, you get so worked up and then people also unspool expletives and things they shouldn't be saying, even in front of children, because someone cut them or someone tried to squeeze in. Now, it can't be all that important because two hours later, you will not even be able to remember what this person looked like. And you got so worked up that you're ready to fight and scream and shout. And uh, so let's take a listen to what road rage often sounds like. What the f is this person doing? Oh dear. The horn. What? It's a road. You're stopping in the, the middle road. of the road. Right. Then talk and get it over with.
Consideration will also apply to those who are handicapped or crippled. I heard about Rabbi Yerucham, a very famous rabbi, that if he saw someone who was walking with a uh, disability, he would not walk past him because he didn't want to highlight this person's frailty, and he was able to just speed right past him. And I think about this when I swim for reasons I don't understand, but whenever I go swimming, there always seems to be a plethora of people who have some kind of disability. Either they suffered a stroke or they had perhaps polio when they were younger, and they were paralyzed in one part of their body. And so I make it my business not to splash right past them. And in the water, there's so many options. You can go underwater, you can turn around. It's not a big deal, but it certainly is a good opportunity to be considerate. Next, uh, an area which is often overlooked, and it's certainly in the realm of consideration, is being careful about other people's time. Everyone knows, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If I put my hand in your pocket, I'm a thief. But there is much less awareness that if I make you waste time, I'm also stealing, but it is far more heinous. Money can always be replaced. Time is irreplaceable. And if you make a whole office wait for you, a whole class, or a whole school, it is compounded by how many people's lives are impacted by your making them wait. Someone once said, I cannot quote the person because I don't know who it is, but the person said, a man who has taken your time recognizes no debt, yet it is the only debt that he can never repay. So let's take a listen to the inimical Jordan Peterson set the record straight about wasting people's time. I'll give you an example. So I've done this a couple of times with classrooms full of students. Usually when I'm lecturing about career development, say, okay, um, how much time do you waste? So then I, I get the class to vote. How many of you waste uh, 10 hours a day? It's like 10% of the kids will put up their hands. And it's interesting because I don't define what constitutes waste. I just ask the question. So they're diagnosing themselves, right? right? I'm not saying you're wasting 10 hours a day. I'm just asking. It's like, given your own attitude, how much time are you wasting? 10 hours a day. It's like 10% of the people put up their hands. Well, when you get to like six hours a day, 80% of the people put up their hands. So then we do the arithmetic. It's like, because I like doing arithmetic with people. People hate arithmetic, but I like doing it. It's like, okay, six hours a day. It's 42 hours a week. So let's call that a work week, 40 hours a week. So, so that's, that's a work week. Let's say, what's your time worth? You're a university student. Well, it's certainly worth minimum wage, because obviously, but it's worth way more than that, because if you spend a productive hour when you're 20, then you gain the benefits of that hour for the rest of your life. So there's the compounding effect of time spent when you're young. So I say, well, let's assume your time's worth 50 bucks an hour, which I think is an underestimate, but whatever. Let's call it 50. We call it 25, but we'll call it 50. That's $2,000 a week you're wasting. It's $100,000 a year. It's like, how much better would your life be if you weren't wasting $100,000 a year? It's like, what is that over 40 years? $4 million. It's like, you're rich. You don't even know it. Quit wasting time. You really want to wake up and figure out that you're wasting half your life? And you know, when people do that kind of wasting, they actually hate it. You know, and I've had lots of people come to my clinical practice who were chronic procrastinators. You know, and so they're watching YouTube videos say, but, but not ones that are good for them, although sometimes they will do that, but just browsing in that kind of mindless way that you do when you're not paying attention and you're trying to kill time. And 
people doing that, they feel bad. They get depressed. They feel anxious. They can't get away from it. They feel kind of quasi-addicted. That's or they what they're do saying it. about social media yeah. now. It's yeah. a huge yeah. issue sure. with young kids. Absolutely. But there's this feeling of kind of internal rot and corruption yes. that goes along with it. It's like, yeah, well, you're wasting your life. It's like, so it's painful. It's painful to recognize that. Then it's painful to think, oh, my God, look how undisciplined I am. I don't know anything. I can't use a schedule. I can't, I can't stick to a calendar. So let's remember we don't want to waste our time, and we certainly don't want to waste someone else's time. There's a member of my family who is habitually, chronically always late, and I chide her Then on her tombstone they will write, Here lies the late. Now, if your presence is important at some event, we should make it a particular effort to be on time or even early. There's a story I know about two great rabbis that were... So I'll tell the story about Rabbi Orbach. This is a story which I actually wrote. Uh, he was scheduled to officiate at a wedding out of town. He lived in Jerusalem. The wedding was to take place in Petach Tikva. This is many years ago when uh, not many people drove. Now, of course, everyone seems to have a car, but then it was a rarity. And uh, he would have had to take actually four buses to walk from his neighborhood to a different neighborhood where buses run then catch a bus to the central bus station in Jerusalem, and then wait from the central bus station to go to the main bus station in Tel Aviv, and then in Tel Aviv, take a bus to Petach Tikva, and then in Petach Tikva, wait for a bus to go to the hall. On and off, squeezed, waiting, four and a half hours now, telescopically condensed to an hour and a quarter with a car ride. And the fellow said, what time should I pick up the rabbi? He said, well, the wedding is called for 6.30. Uh, pick me up at... Five o'clock. It's only an hour and 50 minute drive. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. Ay, 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 ay. 5.10, 5.20, quarter to six. The guy isn't there. Finally, at 6.10, the fellow shows up. He says, where were you? I said, I couldn't bear the thought. If I would have picked up the rabbi on time, we would have arrived at the wedding as the busboys were setting up the table. As the photographer was taking his equipment out of the case, said Rabbi Orbach, don't worry about me. I have plenty of things to do with my time. But if you want to give me a ride, you must come on time. Think about the poor groom. He's thinking about, is the rabbi coming? Is he coming on time? There are so many things on his head. I don't want to give him, burden him with another matter. I don't mind having to spend an hour sitting around. I'll have plenty of things to do. But I don't want to cause someone else to have to fret over me. We can take a listen to another idea about how important it is to be conscientious of our time. Time waits for no man. Life goes by, and it goes by quick. Don't waste those years. Don't waste them. Live them. Fight that ticking clock with everything you got. So, like the end of a hard day, you can put your head down with ease satisfied how many of you know if you had your life to live over again you could have done more than what you've done thus far raise your hands please now that proves a point that what we do and what we accomplish in life is only a tip of the iceberg of what's possible for us most things that never get done never get done because they never get started you wait and wait and wait and wait and you wait so long that the thing 
doesn't even matter anymore. You procrastinate. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, and I should point out that usually my character episodes are based on his masterwork, Code of Jewish Ethics. This would be from Volume 1. And don't describe at length how you're going to help someone. Rather, as the rabbis always say, say little but do a lot. Because if you keep saying what you're going to do, all you're doing is building up the listener's expectations. And it becomes so elevated that even if we do a great deal for this individual, they still may be disappointed because we built up expectations. We're not enabling them for their expectations to be realistic. When a person talks a lot about something, he deceives himself into thinking that he's doing, even if he's not doing anything. As the expression goes, when all is said and done, basically, as someone pointed out, a lot more is said than is done. Another area of consideration is not to do things which could revolt someone else. This is particularly pertinent regarding mealtime, when there are things which people can do or subjects people can talk about which are revolting and not conducive for an enjoyable meal. We don't want to do that and cause other people to lose their appetite. Now, these criteria can be subjective, but they'll appeal to some, they will offend some people, some they will not. But good manners also means that we have to be more careful, and this is particularly an issue with cell phones, or maybe I'm dating myself with smartphones. People talk in public very loudly, and it's intrusive. I've heard people shout intimate things over the phone. Providence places you in a crowded place, a crowded bus, a crowded restaurant. Why are people talking so loudly? Or, you know, we're, we're close together and people are shouting over the phone. Why do I have to hear all the gory details of your new diet? How cute your niece is. You're in a public place. People on planes talk so loudly or they, they'll put on their whatever they're doing and they don't... I've been on a plane where people didn't have earphones and they kept their CD player or whatever it was very, very loud and things I really did not interested in listening to. Another area of consideration would be... And there's so much to say about uh, smartphone decorum. If I could create a new term, that would be it, smartphone decorum. There are times that it's just not appropriate. I've been at funerals where phones go off. Now, I'm aware of the fact that sometimes you forget to turn off your phone. But what I'll never get is how do people take the call? I don't know if you ever noticed, but it's always at a funeral where it's always the jumpiest melody that, of the ringtone, like the Munsters or the Adams Family. So I was at a funeral, and a phone went off, and I couldn't believe it. You know, sometimes you forget to turn off your phone, but the person took the call. So that, it was a Friday, it was a Friday morning. That Friday night at the Shabbat meal, I was discussing with my children what happened, and I told them that I was at a funeral, the phone went off, and someone took the call, which I felt was just the height of inappropriateness. And all my kids said right away, it must have been a doctor. And I said, I don't think that that 15-year-old girl is a doctor. People asked to speak with me, and as they're talking to me, they're sliding their phone or there's whatever, swiping. To me, this would be akin to me asking to talk to you and I'm reading a novel as you're talking to me. Fundamental respect. There are times that the phone is just inappropriate. In my opinion, 
I find it inappropriate. People pick up their kids from school and they walk home with them. They have the kid in one hand. In the other hand, they're talking on the phone. That's not the time to talk on a phone. That's the time you should be speaking to your children. Okay, said enough about that. Now, the next point is when we're complimenting someone, let's be precise with our praise, not make it boiler boilerplate, because if it's not precise, people think it's just a routine, it's not sincere, but if we are specific, then the person knows that we really are complimenting them. You want to make the person feel special and not that it's formality. It's nice to compliment someone who has some nice new clothing. Bless them on their new clothing. Uh, women, and I speak as a father of many daughters, spend a lot of time with their hair to try and make themselves more attractive to other people. Receiving a compliment makes all the effort seem all that more worthwhile. Many principles of good manners have to do with speech. For example, a wise person does not respond to a question or statement without thought. Some people talk, they just unspool their mouths. And it seems to me very clear that their brains and their mouths are not exactly in sync. They've started a sentence with no idea where they're going to end it. So if you're talking with someone, please, a little thought about what you're going to say. Don't just unspool and then without thinking what you're going to say. When someone's speaking, don't interrupt. Show everyone that you're familiar with what the speaker is saying. I heard a story about a certain rabbi. His name was Rabbi Baruch Sorotskin. He was talking to a student in school, and someone came over and said to him, Did you hear that so-and-so is engaged? He said, Oh, I didn't know. I'm so happy. A few minutes later, yeah, 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 yeah. He's still talking to the same boy. Someone came over and said, Did you know that so-and-so is engaged? Oh, I'm so happy. Thanks for the good news. And then a few minutes later, someone else said, Did you know that so-and-so just got engaged? He said, I didn't know that. Wow, that's... Such good news. Maybe he didn't say I didn't know that because he did know that. But he said, thank you so much for this good news. And the student is agog, a Twitter, slack draw. He said, one second. Three people came over and told you the same thing. You knew that ha that person was engaged. Why are you making such a big deal? He said, the person wanted to feel good that he was sharing this good news with me. Why should I deprive them? Basically, in short, it means let other people shine. People want to say something. They want to tell you a joke. You know it. Let them finish it. Why do you have to cut them off? Let them shine. It is also appropriate not to catch someone unawares. It's a very good custom to knock on the door before you enter, even your own home. Even going into a child's room, children are also entitled to their privacy, or if you come from England, to their privacy. But you don't want to catch someone unawares and startle them. You knock before you enter. Some people seem to drive a lot of pleasure from startling others. You know, you know, maybe if you say boo, and for the practical joke, maybe once every six months, that would be legitimate, but not every single day. A man's disposition should always be pleasant and attuned to others. In other words, you don't want to rejoice when people are somber, and you don't want to be mournful when people are rejoicing. You have to make sure that your behavior is in sync to those that are around you. And if you cannot control yourself, either leave or figure a way how to restrain yourself not to insert inappropriate emotions in the wrong place. Uh, I was wanted to quote some inappropriate quote. I wanted to play some music that would show how people can do things which are so inappropriate. And I was aghast to find, as I tried to Google this, there are people who have endless, endless YouTube pranks 
of people playing very, very, in, and I hope I'm encouraging no one to look this up, very inappropriate music in a library, in a gymnasium. Uh, there's nothing appropriate to this. Let me just give you a sample of something. <laughs> careful that your behavior and what you say should not be discordant. Uh, I've been at funeral homes where people say things they feel they have to talk, even if they don't have anything appropriate to say. Uh, by showing up, you show your grief. But don't start cracking jokes in a place which is somber, like we've said earlier, nor is it appropriate to act more from a place where people are rejoicing. Just make sure that your behavior is in sync with the appropriate and appropriate for where you are. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes a never-fail approach how to inculcate good character. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode, and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com. You can find more details about this show and other useful information. Check out the site store, and just by inserting the TFJ code, you will receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced price of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com.